Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. My first thought when Memphis gets a good snow is that everybody else should stay off the roads. But I'm a late middle-aged guy with an old Subaru, so there's a good chance the next thing I'll feel is a sudden need to venture out into the storm myself because, I don't know, maybe it's time to replace the pancake spatula or our stockpile of binder clips is running low. But when the storm blew in last Sunday afternoon, I actually had a legitimate reason to be out in it. Ardell's flight from New York had been delayed, so off I went, intrepid Arctic traveler that I am, into the half inch of powder that had already fallen. As I said, the problem with winter driving in Memphis is not any of us, it's all the other idiots on the road. (laughs) Sure enough, as I headed south on East Parkway at exactly the speed everybody else should have been traveling, some fool sped up behind me and started tailgating. Somewhere around the Liberty Bowl, he swung angrily into the left lane and raced past at a very irresponsible speed. And in that moment, pious Christian person that I am, a prayer of sorts arose within me. It was for the safety of others, of course, and maybe also to balance out the scales of justice in this universe that I prayed that that guy would end up in the ditch. (laughs) I really hoped I'd get to see his wheels spinning impotently until he gave up and had to call an Uber. But here's the kicker and the climax of this gripping story, which I can see as you on the edge of your pew or maybe your couch. He didn't. I caught up with the guy at every one of the 25 or 26 red lights we hit on the way to the airport And as far as I know, that miserable sinner got to his destination safe and sound. Isn't that infuriating? Or at least deeply unsatisfying as a story, or come to think of it as a sermon illustration. But I've wasted a few minutes of your time with that non-story because it's actually roughly the plot line of the book of Jonah. If you haven't read Jonah in a while you might think it sounds like a tale meant for the big screen. There's the recalcitrant prophet who runs from God when he's told to carry a message of repentance to Nineveh. He ends up on a ship headed for Tarshish in the opposite direction. When the sailors realize that his defiance of the gods is what's brought on a terrible storm, they throw him overboard where he's swallowed by a giant fish. He lives three days and three nights in the belly of that fish prays a psalm of gratitude about how God has delivered him. Sure enough, God does. God speaks to the fish, and it spews out Jonah onto the dry land. Now that's the part of the story you remember from Sunday school, right? Great story, but it's not the whole story. That's just the first two chapters, and there are four. What we read this morning is what follows immediately after Jonah gets belched back into his life. It's as if the writer of Jonah knew exactly what we want to get out of a story and was determined not quite to give it to us. 
Jonah, you see, gets a second chance to take his message to Nineveh. And this time he does. I mean, being half digested by a fish has its way of getting your attention. But Jonah's only one day into a three-day walk across this great big city when the thing happens that never happens in any story worth telling. The people, all of them, great and small, say, you make a good point, Mr. Prophet guy who smells not so faintly of fish. We repent and promise to do better. And that's just what they do. God calls off the calamity, and everybody lives happily ever after. Well, everybody except one person. Jonah knows this is no way to tell a story. The people who've done wrong need to suffer, not just say they're sorry and sit in sackcloth for a minute. So Jonah becomes irate that everybody's gotten off the hook he'd been commissioned by God to hang them on. And he prays, This is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. It's as if God, unlike us or me, has absolutely no interest in giving people what they deserve. All God seems to care about is that God's world become a more just and merciful place and has no need to see anybody spinning their tires in a snowy ditch. If we're honest, there are probably moments when we agree with Jonah that the only thing more infuriating than an angry, vengeful God is a merciful and forgiving one. At least when God's merciful and forgiving to all the wrong kinds of people. It makes a kind of sense that forgiveness is described in economic terms in the Bible sometimes. As a debt of sin that's been canceled, for example, or we get the analogy. Our sins and failings do have this way of piling up on each other like an unfortunate form of compounding interest. The problem with these metaphors, though, is that they can make forgiveness sound like a matter of just getting back to even. And forgiveness is actually... As a monk named David Stendhal Rast once put it, the most intensive form of giving. Forgiveness is a generative and creative force. It's a deposit of something powerfully new into the world if we're going to stick to the realm of money for our metaphors. So when you and I and Jonah go through life needing scores to be settled, we simply have not yet, as Paul would write later, Let the same mind be in us that was in Christ. Our minds are being held captive by the severe accountants of scarcity. Rather than by that most intensive form of giving, we see in the forgiving ways of Jesus. This is the day of our annual parish meeting. I'm not sure I would have chosen the story of Jonah for today if I got to choose one, but... I'm kind of glad the lectionary dropped it into our laps because it crystallizes something essential to the way Christians and Jews are meant to live, both as individuals and as communities. There's a contrast that couldn't be any starker in Jonah's story. In chapter 2, we find him in the belly of a fish reciting a psalm of gratitude for the saving ways of God. In chapter 4, He's been delivered from the fish 
But now he's angry and miserable, sulking under a withered bush in the sun because some people didn't pay the consequences for their actions he thought they needed to pay. Let's be truthful. We know that we Christians collectively and as individuals have looked like each of these versions of Jonah at times, haven't we? Christians have met the most difficult and dire circumstances with gratitude and hope and resilience, even renovation projects, I've heard. Christians have also been scolding cranks at times who think we know exactly what all those miserable sinners out there need to set them straight. At an annual meeting, we look back over a year with thankfulness to God for what's passed through our lives and out into the world in 2023 in all sorts of ways, through all sorts of people time and again. I saw you meet challenges and opportunities we encountered at Calvary with mercy and kindness, with prayer and beauty, with justice and hospitality and friendship and more. Thankfulness comes pretty easy on days like these as we celebrate the gifts you've offered to the world. But the second step is surely to see that world itself as a gifted place and to see all people as containers of gifts the world needs. All people bear gifts. Even those whose lives have taken a tragic turn in a wrong direction, wrong like our sulking, miserable prophet perhaps, or wrong like the lives that have turned to violence and destruction in the city. All lives are containers of divine gift. And the work God is still most interested in, if I'm reading our scriptures rightly at all, is not adding more shame and judgment and self-righteousness to the world. It's in helping the buried gifts in our lives and in the neighbors of every person we meet come forth and flourish. Isn't that what it must mean to make God's love visible here and now? As the story of Jonah comes to its close, Jonah does not get the message and change his ways or his mind. He's added to his rage about God's forgiveness of Nineveh, only more rage about the bean plant that shaded him for a day and then died. Rage can spread like spilt water into the low places of our hearts, especially when our hearts have been laid low themselves. But God says to our despondent prophet, whom God, please note, still hasn't abandoned. God says, you're concerned about the bush for which you didn't labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals? God's desire for Nineveh wasn't that people settle up some debt for their sins. It was only that they turn from their destructive ways of being in the world and come more fully alive. All of them, right down to the livestock, apparently. God has no need to be proven right or have God's righteous anger validated. God just wants the gift embedded in Nineveh to come forth into the world. That's all. That is all, my friends 
that God wants for you and for me and for Calvary and for every last person we encounter on our journey for another year through this city, through this world, through our lives. God wants us to learn the strange way of forgiveness because God wants us to create the conditions in which the gifts God has planted in all people can finally be given fully away. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.